0: Chapter 14. The rattlesnake sailed up the Delaware, and when it came upon Philadelphia in the afternoon of the fourth day, Finn was breathless at the city's size. She had thought Savannah a great metropolis, but compared to Philadelphia it was little more than a country bywater. Streets and buildings stretched as far as she could see in every direction, and there were an uncountable number of ships, some coming, some going, most sitting still in between. As they drew near the pier, Jack commenced barking orders and the crew prepared the ship for mooring. Finn and Nut climbed aloft to pull in the sails. Their size lent them to easy climbing, and in the past days, Finn had spent more time up in the ropes than down on solid footing. Once the sails were secure, Nut called her down, but she ignored him. She climbed up to the highest yardarm and stared across at the cityscape. From so high up, she could see across the rooftops for miles as she tossed from side to side with the rolling of the ship. Finn smiled. It was like looking out at the forest from her old bell tower. She felt for a moment as if she were home. Then, like a thunderclap, an order barked up from Jack broke the spell. She shimmied down and hurried back to work as the rattlesnake came to rest and settle at the wharf. The crew moored the ship and Jack ordered the holds opened up. They spent the afternoon unloading the little they had aboard and delivered it to the proper warehouses as directed by the dockmaster. When the work was complete and accounts were settled... Jack delivered the paperwork and monies to the captain and returned with pay for the crew. It was the first money Finn had ever had, and the few coins, no more than a pittance to others, were all riches and finery to her. When Jack released the crew to go ashore, she prodded Nut to find her some paper and a pen. The rest of the crew laughed and sang and headed down the pier into the town, while Finn sat scratching away with a quill, writing Peter to let him know she was safe. Nut didn't seem anxious for the company of the rowdy crew, so he sat down and waited patiently without asking whom she wrote or why. Finn wrote little more than she was safe, she was working, and she'd be home soon, and Peter ought not to worry about her. When she finished, she folded it up and hopped to her feet. Let's go find the postmaster. Nut shrugged and pointed toward the city. It's down that way I've been there with the captain before. He ambled across the plank and down the pier. Nut was a reliable guide. He remembered just where the postmaster's office was. After dropping a few coins for post, he and Finn wandered the town. A few blocks from the pier, they spotted three shipmates bartering for the services of a painted prostitute on the steps of a dirty, run-down brothel. Finn frowned at them and winced at the sight of the prostitute teasing the sailors. She wore an eye patch and had more eyes than teeth. She didn't know who to feel more sorry for, the whore or the sailors. The end finds the harlot when all other doors are shut. Carmeline's words. Finn turned away, thinking she'd kick in a few doors before she walked through that one. Where should we go, nut? I don't reckon. Mainly, I just stay on the snake, lest the captain or Jack needs me. He shrugged with a frown and Finn shook her head. She couldn't decide if he was daft or not. Sometimes he was quick as a whip, and other times she swore he was dumb as a plank. Dumb or not, he was the only friend Finn had made, and she wasn't going to spend the evening cooped up on the ship alone. Tommy Nuttle You and me are going to have some fun, she told him with a determined nod. Fun? And we can start right there. Finn pointed at a sign swinging over the door of a tavern down the street. Tun Tavern, it read. She grabbed Nut by the arm and dragged him toward it. He didn't protest, but he didn't seem to like what he was about to be pulled into either. When they got to the door, Finn pushed it open and stomped in as if she'd been in a hundred portside taverns and knew just what she was doing. The tavern was dimly lit and smelled of beer and sweat. Crowded tables cluttered the room, and laughter, shouting, and the singing of several different songs all at once livened the air. For reasons she couldn't quite put a finger to, Finn felt right at home. She dragged Nut by the collar to the nearest open seat and sat him down beside her. The man next to her was as fat as an ox and gave her a stare of appraisal before hefting his drink and returning his attention to his fellows across the table. Finn stared around the place, wondering what to do next. A stubbly, bald man bobbled up to her. "'Drinks?' he asked as he wiped his hands on his filthy apron. "'Yes, uh, two,' stammered Finn. "'Well, what's your fancy?' he said impatiently. Finn didn't have the least idea what her fancy was, nor why it might need wetting. She looked a nut. He was busy cleaning out his ear, oblivious to the conversation. No help at all. "'Well, what do you—' we got the finest beers from all across the colonies.' Got a few from old Ireland, even a cask of German dark, if that's your taste. We don't suffer an English draft, though. Across the room, a gaggle of noisy patrons whistled and banged their empty mugs on the table. The waiter waved to calm them down and then raised an eyebrow at Finn. Not got all night, sir. What do you have? you have anything from Georgia? Georgia. Hmm, let's see now. He rolled up his eyes and scratched his pate in thought. Yes, sir, I believe we got a bit of a cask left from near about Macon. A thick stout it is, like the folk that made it, or so I hear, he said with a chuckle. Two of those, please. He nodded and hurried over to the table where the men were shaking their empty cups at him. Nut was staring across the room. He had discovered the spectacle of a drunken man alternately dancing and falling down as people cheered him on. Nut grinned, a rare condition. Georgia, said a gruff voice from across the table. Excuse me, said Finn. The man across from her was red as a beet. By the count of empty mugs and bottles in front of him, Finn thought he might be trying to pickle himself as well. "'Are you from Georgia?' he said. "'Me? Yes, sir.' "'Well, I heard about that woman you got down there. "'That war woman!' he grinned as he said it. "'That lady what killed them English. My kind of woman!' The other men at the table agreed and laughed. "'That kind of woman like to bowl you over and feed you to her biddies,' said the man next to him. Well, she can bowl me any way she like," said the red-faced man as he picked up his cup. The others chuckled, then knocked their mugs together and took a long draw. Well, I haven't heard about her. Well, what happened? Asked Finn. Her stomach was fluttering. I thought you said you was from Georgia, Mister. Oh, I am, but I've been at sea and war, woman, down in Georgia. Six British regulars was ordered to seize her house. She invited them in. They says sat them all down for supper, and then killed every one of them in cold blood. Right at her dinner table. The Georgia War Woman, they callin' her. Ain't seen her, have you? Finn's head felt like it might pop. He was talking about her. He had to be. Well, did she have a name? Finn asked. Hi, what was it now? Odd name it was. He picked a flake of dried skin off his ear as he thought about it. Phineas Michaels, said the man next to him. Locals give her right up, damn Tories. Finn's face went white. The sisters must have withheld her last name to protect her. British won't let this one go. They'll get hold of her family. She'll turn herself in if the damn Tories don't do it first for the money. What money? Finn asked. A thousand pounds is what money, alive or otherwise. The waiter returned and plunked down two pints of foamy beer in front of her. She picked up the drink and gulped at it. When the bitter hit her, she nearly choked it back up. She had never tasted beer before. The men across the table laughed. "'Easy, boy. Don't waste good beer on a weak belly. (laughs) Where's that paper?' The man craned his neck and shouted around, looking for the newspaper. Someone from another table yelled back, watered up a piece of paper, and threw it in Finn's direction. The red-skinned man across from her caught it, unwatered it, and smoothed it out on the table. "'There she is,' he said and passed the piece of paper across the table. She took it from his hands and tried to look calm. It was an issue of the Philadelphia Gazette, and the headline said, Georgia War Woman Slays English. A crude woodcut print depicted a short-haired woman impaling a soldier on a bayonet. Ebenezer, the orphan house, the sisters, they were all there, all in the paper. Finn was mortified. She wanted to run out the door and keep on running until she was back home, back with Peter. The last line read, Reward of 1,000 pounds to be paid by the royal governor for the capture or killing of Finia Michaels. A thousand pounds. She couldn't go home. Ebenezer had as many folk loyal to Britain as not. Someone was sure to turn her in. But what if the man was right? What if the British threatened people close to her? Or worse, hurt them, imprisoned them? She folded up the paper and stuck it in her pocket. You said the British would do something to her family, but I didn't see that in the article she said to the red-faced man. It don't? Well, hell, I can't read. That's what I heard, though. Damned English want to make an example. Stretch your neck where folks can learn about the kindness of King George, I reckon. People been talking about it all over. He paused and scratched his cheek. What you so curious for? You know something about her? No, no, I used to live nearby, but I haven't been back in ages. Finn tried to shrink from sight and took another sip of her drink. She glanced at Nut. He was studying her as if she were a strange animal. You all right, Finn? He said. I'm fine. Look, there's Jack. Jack and several other sailors from the rattlesnake had just walked through the door and were clearing drunks away from a table so they could sit down. Let's go join them. Come on. She scooped up their mugs and walked over to the newly cleared table. She plunked the drinks down and settled herself across from one of the sailors, a man she knew only as Bill. The other men at the table eyed her suspiciously and Finn felt they were silently considering whether or not she ought to be there. Finn looked around for Nut and discovered him standing back from the table, deep in thought. Sit down, Nut, said Finn. Nut shook his head and frowned. Knows better than to sit, he does, said Bill from across the table. Bad luck to have an idle-brained half-wit about. Several of the other men laughed in agreement. Finn noticed a look of disapproval on Jack's face, but he didn't disapprove enough to say anything. A halfwit's the one that thinks his luck is in another man's head, said Finn. "Huh?" Eh? said Bill, looking confused. Hard of hearing? I'll say it again. You say your luck's bad due to nut, and I say you're the half-wit for thinking it. Bill's face turned dark, and he inclined an ear toward Finn. I don't think I heard that just right, Swabby. Because if I heard that right, I'd be obliged to knuckle in your noggin. Bill leaned across the table and raised an eyebrow. Careful, Bill called out a sailor from down the table. Jack say he knocked in old Tommy with one wop. The others erupted in laughter and nuts squirmed in his clothes. Finn's blood was beginning to boil. If there was anything she couldn't stomach, it was folks getting down on people who couldn't stand up for themselves. I said, she leaned in toward Bill, I think you're the half-wit. Bill pushed back from the table and stood up hard enough to knock his chair over backwards behind him. Best clear back, boys. I'm about to box this young'un's ears. Bill walked around the table. Finn squared off with him, threw up her fists, and grinned. Her grin produced a sort of growling sound inside Bill's chest. Finn, let's go, said Nut from behind her. We ain't goin' nowhere, Nut. Finn winked at Bill and he charged her. She stepped to the side and laid her fist into his face the same way she'd done to Tommy and Savannah. Bill fell to the floor. The men at the table laughed and cheered and the bartender yelled for peace but all the noise hushed when Bill jumped back up. Finn blinked in surprise, and he threw his fist up under her chin. She sailed through the air and landed on her back atop the next table over, sending patrons scattering for cover. Now Bill was the one grinning. Finn scrambled off the table and noticed that her jaw didn't seem to close in quite the same way it had before. Jack shook his head in exasperation. I ain't done with you, boy, growled Bill. Finn wasn't amused anymore. She rushed at him and then they set to throwing fists and hollering at one another. Bill's hands felt like hams clubbing her each time he connected, but her small size and quick feet provided that connection was rare, if painful. Bill, on the other hand, couldn't seem to avoid Finn's fists, no matter what he did. Later, he would swear that she had help because two hands alone could not have hit him so many times, in so short a span. The fight didn't last long. Bill hit the ground with a thud and didn't move until the sun came up. The sailors cheered and laughed, and Jack sat shaking his monstrous head. Finn turned to Nut and ordered him to sit. He sat. Finn sat beside him, and Jack hollered at her down the table. Button, if you don't quit off beating on my crew, we'll have no one left to run the snake at all. Finn laughed. Bill was buying drinks tonight, so you just inherited Bill's bill. Finn opened her mouth in protest, and Jack raised an eyebrow to silence it. Fair enough, she conceded. Jack winked back at her, then stood up and cleared his throat. "'Gentlemen, those of you that ain't met yet, this here's Finn Button.' Jack nodded toward her, and Finn gulped her drink to hide a blush. The others at the table shouted hellos at her. "'Button, this is Ned Smithers.' Jack motioned to a blond haired man with a big, toothy grin. "'Next to him is Flanders Topper, also known as the Boot Snuffler, but we won't get into that.' Topper was a small, plump man with a bulbous nose, and he looked to be covered in dirt from hair to foot. He rolled his eyes at Jack and nodded at Finn, far side of the snuffler we got Fred Martin and Art Thomason. The two grunted at Finn in between guzzles from their mugs and over here we got Tan bow Jack hooked his thumb over his shoulder, and from behind him, tan glanced at Finn through a tangle of sandy brown hair. He acknowledged Jack's introduction with the slightest smile and turned away. "'Of course you and Bill Stum already met,' he motioned at Bill lying on the floor. "'Now, I don't expect no more trouble amongst me own crew,' said Jack with an air of finality. The men at the table nodded and were soon singing old songs and drinking as if nothing had ever interrupted them at all. Bill lay peaceful as a babe near the foot of the table. Finn nursed her swelling lip and wiped her bleeding nose off on her sleeve, then got up and angled her way around the table toward Jack.' He was huddled over a drink, talking with Tan. Jack spied her out of the corner of his eye and held up his hand to Tan. They stopped talking and looked at her. Jack, could I talk to you? Finn asked. Look like you already are. In private? Nothing I want to hear can't be heard by Tan and the rest. Get on with it, he barked at her, irritated. I heard there's trouble back home in Georgia, and I was wondering... Don't even think of trying to weasel worm your way off the snake, mister. I like you good enough. "'And you got the jerk to be a fine sea-hand one day, "'and them scarce now about with the war afoot. "'So forget about running off and go sit down.' "'He narrowed his eyes at her. "'He was crouching to pounce if she gave him a reply he didn't like. "'Oh, no, no sir, I, I don't want to leave. "'I was just wondering if we'd be headed back down to Savannah anytime soon. "'I'd like to check up on friend and family, as the case may be. Yes, "'The captain decides what we do and where and when. "'Not me and damn sure not you.' The devil alone knows the captain's mind, so you best tend your work and leave them manners be, Mr. Button. Jack wrinkled his brow and was silent a moment. But if we land back in Savannah, come talk at me. I'll be sure you get the time you need to check on your kin. Jack turned back to Tan and resumed his former conversation without waiting for Finn to reply. She walked back to her seat next to Nut. She was desperate to know if the sisters and Peter were safe. If that man was right about the British using people close to her as leverage and she'd never forgive herself if any hurt came of it. But if she went back, they would be looking for her. She sipped on her beer, which was beginning to taste quite good, and considered her thoughts in silence. Are you all right, Finn? She turned, and Nut was looking at her with a worried face. I'm just thinking about home, she said with a tinge of sadness. I don't remember my home, said Nut. You don't remember? How can you not remember your home? Don't know. I forget lots of stuff. Reckon that's why they call me Nut. Well, you said they called you Nut because it was short for Nuttle. Finn looked at him curiously. Nut thought about it for a moment while scratching his ear. Oh, yeah, I forgot, he said. He shrugged and gulped down the rest of his drink while Finn shook her head in amazement. After another round of drinks, Finn began to ease into the company. The men laughed and told sea stories and poked fun at one another and soon she was laughing easily amongst them and wishing she had more to add to the conversation. They passed the hours in comfortable fellowship, and even Nut seemed to relax eventually, though he never spoke. Men poured into the tavern until the entire space was jammed with the drinking and the drunken. And as the hour grew late, a man shouted for attention and banged a stool on the floor. The singing stopped, and people wheeled around to see what the commotion was about. Quiet, quiet, please! The man was in military uniform and held one hand in the air calmly attempting to call the room to attention until the din of the day's leisure quieted and all eyes attended him. "'What in the bloody hell are you dressed up for?' called a voice from the crowd. "'For those of you that don't know me, my name is Robert Mullen, and this is my establishment!' The man smiled and a great many mugs raised and sloshed about in salute. "'Cheers to the master of the house!' they called and drank. Mr. Mullen waited patiently to regain the attention of the room. "'I have here some business that I should like you to attend,' he said, and cleared his throat. throat) "'The Continental Congress has ordered the formation of two battalions of Marines, "'and they've seen fit to award me a captaincy. "'I've been appointed to persuade such men as are hardy seamen and fearless in battle "'to cast their lot in with my Marines to seek our fortune on the high seas "'of this new War for Independence.' "'The crowd wasn't impressed.' as evidenced by the chorus of boos and the various thrown objects that found their way through the air to Captain Mullen. Undeterred, the captain calmed the room again and continued. I beg you, hear me out. Only yesterday I spoke with a man who cast in his lot with a privateer who promised him only his share of what British fare they fouled. I offer that same promise of equal share in loot and booty, in addition to the many benefits of service to the Congress, including monthly pay... "'Provisions and clothing!' Around the room, eyebrows lifted as the quiet of thought encroached. "'If we throw in with you, we get paid to kill British and still get a privateer's share?' shouted a man from the far side of the room. "'Aye, indeed. A corps of Marines. "'To harass the British trade, nettle their navy, "'and be an angry thorn in the side of King George, until he leave us be!' This brought nods, murmurs, and a smattering of cheers. Those that would aid the cause and cast in with me, make your way up here to place your name. To Finn's surprise, Ned Smithers and Fred Martin stood up from the table. Jack's eyes popped wide and he slammed his fist down hard enough that the cups on the table jumped into the air like startled frogs. Sit your asses down, growled Jack at Ned and Fred. Now look here, Jack, said Ned. Jack slammed his hand onto the table again. Sit! Fred started to sit back down, but Ned glared at him. And he stopped mid-sit, not certain where he wanted to end up. Now, Jack, that sounds like a right good offer to me. And you got to admit that Creech ain't been on the right side of the business stick lately. Not that none of us took much of a care for him to start with. You two listen here and listen good. I don't give a damn what this fancy officer is offering. The snake ain't gonna lose the two of you to it. We're working a slim crew here as it is, and I'll be buggered if I'm gonna let you walk away. I'll knuckle you cold and carry you back and chain you to a cannon if I got to. Jack's right, Fred. "'said Art Thomason. "'You ain't never been one for fighting anyhow. "'Quit fooling and sit down.' "'Fred eyed Art and Jack in consideration "'and then looked at Ned for guidance. "'Come on, Fred. "'I'm tired of Creech's ill temper. "'This has a sound of a good turn to me. "'But if you stay or come, I'm out all the same.' "'Ned turned to Jack with rising determination. "'You can have the snake, Jack, "'right along with the serpent at her helm.' "'By hell, you will not!' snarled Jack. Tan reached out, put a hand on Jack's shoulder, and whispered to him in a calm voice. It's their choice, Jack. Leave them to it. Ned stepped away from the table. Fred made up his mind and made to follow, but Jack had different plans. He leapt up and charged after Ned like an angry bull. Here we go, muttered Tan with a sigh and a slight grin. Then he took a deep breath and charged after Jack. Jack caught Ned and tackled him so hard that Finn was afraid he'd be crushed like a bug. Fred, on the other hand, seemed to have lost all ability to reason. He was darting around the room trying to hide from Jack when he tripped and fell headlong across a table of half-seused Irish. The Irish didn't appear to be mad at him. They actually seemed quite pleased to be given an invitation to the melee, and they took to clubbing Fred about the room like a beanbag. While Fred and Jack were squared off and trading punches, Tan latched himself onto Jack's back and crooked his arm around his neck, trying to choke him into unconsciousness. It wasn't having any effect that Finn could see. Captain Mullen tried to yell over the din for order, but for all the crowd knew he was cheering them on, and it wasn't a minute before every fist in Tun Tavern was flying. Finn and Nut stood back and enjoyed the show until a short, hairy man with one arm bowled them over into a tall, bald man with two arms, and they were obliged to join the ruckus. Most men took Finn for granted due to her size, but they soon learned better with her fist in their eye. As sailors kept by long bouts of shipborne boredom do, They bloodied each other with a sort of grim amusement. Tables and chairs flew about, splintering here and there on heads or hinds. And despite all the broken knuckles and noses, there didn't seem to be an angry man in the room, save Jack Wagon and Captain Mullen. The Irish, however, far surpassed amusement and appeared to be in the throes of pure glee, much to Fred's misfortune. Through it all, Bill lay snoring peacefully at the head of the table right where Finn had dropped him. Tan remained latched fast to Jack's neck, and was tossed side to side, thrown into walls and tables, and rolled over on the floor more than once, until at last he succeeded in felling the giant. Jack tumbled to the floor with a resounding thud, and Ned breathed a heaving sigh of relief that he'd managed to survive. With Jack down and out, the life quickly died out of the rest of the combatants, and soon the room was full of groans and deep breath. Captain Mullen stood at the head of the room, muttering and swearing about his broken tables and disastrous recruitment meeting. Ned regained his breath and staggered around the room, nudging unconscious bodies with his foot, looking for Fred, and finding only groans. Tan lay on the floor in exhaustion, and next to him Jack lay in a tumbled heap, showing no signs of waking in the near future. To Finn's amazement and delight, the Irish had regained their table and resumed drinking while they compared bruises. Fred? called Ned, and from the direction of the Irish table came an answer. Finn looked closer and there was Fred seated among the crowd of red hair and freckles, with a smile on his face, as his newfound mates admired his many whelps and bruises whilst pouring him drinks as fast as he could empty his cup. "'Over here!' he called. "'This here's Ned Smithers. Ned, meet the O'Malley's. I can't keep the first name straight, but they all answer to O'Malley, so why complicate matters?' The men at the table erupted in laughter. Ned wasn't particularly amused and threw a nervous glance at Jack, who was still lying in a heap on the floor. "'Come on, Fred!' Let's throw in with the Marines and find us a spot farther from Jack. He'll be no friendlier when he wakes up. Fred turned his attention back to the O'Malley's and wrapped his mug on the table to get their attention. Let's throw in with Captain Mullen there and knuckle in some British on the governor's ticket. Fred hardly had time to finish speaking before the whole O'Malley gang jumped up and carried him toward Captain Mullen's table on their shoulders, cheering and singing all the way. Ned followed after, rolling his eyes. When they reached the head of the room, Captain Mullen stopped his swearing and wasted no time showing them where to sign. As the O'Malleys, along with Fred and Ned, shuffled out of the tavern, Finn couldn't help but feel a twinge of pity for whatever British managed to find themselves in the path of the Continental Marines. Come on, Nut, let's see if Jack's all right. Finn walked over and knelt beside Jack. He seemed to be fast asleep, and no worse for the wear. Oh, he'll be sore at me when he comes around said Tan, sitting up and wiping his brow. But me and Jack been friends a long time. He'll get over it. Tan looked at Finn with curiosity. She got nervous every time he looked at her, as if he somehow knew her secrets. Surely he didn't, but she couldn't shake the weight of his stare. Well, how will we get him back to the snake? Asked Finn. Tan chuckled. (laughs) Ha ha! We don't. It would take ten of us to pick him up, much less carry him back. He'll come around soon enough. "'Till then, leave him lie.' Tan stood up, moved to the nearest table, and took a seat. Finn and Nut joined him as he called for a drink. "'Nut, was I dreaming, or did I see you giving a few licks?' asked Tan. Nut's face turned red, and he lowered his head. "'He can take care of himself more than people think,' said Finn. "'Oh, you don't have to tell me. "'Nut was a hell of a boxer once upon a while ago. "'Things change, though, I reckon.' Tan considered Nut as if he was trying to decide what else to tell. Finn didn't know what to make of the information. She looked at Nut, but he refused to meet her eyes. What do you mean? she asked. Tan didn't answer the question. You two'd best run along. Jack'll come too for long, and he's not likely to be pleasant company when he does. Finn decided he was right. She didn't like the thought of being too close when Jack woke to find his crew two sailors short to the new Marine Battalion. I'll see you back on the snake. She smiled at Tan and then nudged Nut. Come on, let's go find some food. They hurried out of the tavern, and Finn felt Tan's eyes on her back as she left. They walked to the rattlesnake in a thoughtful hush, Nut quiet at her side. Her hand made its way into her pocket to feel the small wad of paper hiding there the Gazette, with her face on the front page.